like everyone, you think you're rational, but you're not. Rationality is not a power you're born with, but one you acquire through training and practice. Generally, what causes us to go astray in the first place, what leads to bad decisions and miscalculations, is our deep-rooted irrationality, the extent to which our minds are governed by emotion. That's from Robert Greene in his book, The Laws of Human Nature. I'll take a little bit of a different view to start, and that's, I think emotion is good. It's the fuel that has helped to create this wonderful world that we live in. And despite all that's wrong with it, this is the best time ever to be alive. We highly emotional beings have pushed for change out of fear, ambition, love, whatever. And we should be very proud and happy that most of us live in the comfort we do. It's also what's wrong with our world. It can be the worst parts of us. For me, I have a highly tuned threat detector that can skew to the irrational to protect me, my family, or just my ego. I've got almost five decades of training, living around alcoholism, or worrying about whether or not that pile of rubbish is an IED, or whether or not my kids are going to make it in this very, very hard and sometimes scary world. I think about every facial expression, the tone of your voice, what you did, what you didn't do. All of this goes into my calculus, and it's all usually very rational. Because we all are. We find answers that suit us, and those answers are usually inaccurately colored by our emotions of the minute or the history that we're dragging along with us. I've been giving a lot of thought to my own irrationality, and I wanted to share some of the lessons that I've taken out of Robert Greene's book, The Laws of Human Nature. First, we have to recognize our own biases. Second, we have to be aware of inflaming factors. And then finally, he lays out a few strategies to help us bring out our rational self. Let's start with the first one, biases. Greene says this, emotions are continually affecting our thought process and our decisions below the level of our awareness. And the most common emotion of them all is the desire for pleasure and the avoidance of pain. We imagine we're looking for truths or being realistic, but when in fact, we're holding on to ideas that bring a release of tension or soothe our egos. Now, you're probably aware of biases, and I'm going to give you a handful here that are some of the most common, and I think some of the most important. First is confirmation bias. We find or evaluate evidence that just confirms the way we think. We do it every single day. The second is conviction bias. I believe in it so strongly it must be true. And by the way, I'm usually right. Appearance bias. Maybe the easiest to understand, but probably what we get wrong the most. We tell ourselves that we see people as they are. And we say we don't see their appearance in a way that sways our perspective, but that's not true. With group bias, you're saying to yourself that you can make up your own mind despite belonging to a group, cultural, social, religious, national, whatever. We get swayed very quickly by the group. Number five, a personal favorite, maybe you haven't heard of it, it's blame bias. We're saying to ourselves, external factors are what's wrong. I couldn't have done anything about it. This may be one of the most dangerous as it relates to you becoming better. And the last one for this morning is superiority bias. This is one that you usually wouldn't say out loud. 
You might not even say it to yourself, but it happens. This is when you're saying, I'm more ethical, I'm kinder, I'm smarter, I'm whatever. You think you're better than someone. Again, maybe even only subconsciously. If you think you're immune to these, that is irrationality talking. You, me, and even my grandma are susceptible to all of these and more. Okay, so that's biases. We've got to confront our biases. We've got to understand where we are being irrational about how we think about the world. Step two is being aware of inflaming factors. Green talks about a handful, but I want to talk about just two. And that's trigger points from childhood and rising pressure or stress. These are two big ones for me personally. So as it relates to trigger points from childhood, the older I get and the more work I do on myself, often with a professional, is helping me understand this and see more of it. As parents, we all do the best we can, and I know mine did, but it doesn't mean that the scars are any, any less real in my mind today, even if I've made them up. And Green lays out a, a salient example in the book, and I'll share it with you now. He says, take, for example, a young man who had a distant or narcissistic mother. As an infant or child, they experienced her coldness as abandonment. And to be abandoned must mean that he was somehow unworthy of her love. Or, in the same vein, you get a new sibling, and this causes the mother to give him less attention, which he equally experienced as abandonment. So then later in life, in a relationship, a woman might hint disapproval of some trait or action of his, all of which is part of a healthy relationship. This will hit a trigger point in him. She is noticing a flaw, which he imagines precedes her abandonment of him. He feels a powerful rush of emotion, a sense of imminent betrayal. He does not see the source of this. It's beyond his control. It's irrational. He overreacts, accuses, withdrawals, all of which lead to the very thing he feared, abandonment. His reaction was some reflection in his own mind, not reality. This is the height of irrationality. So some actions to think about as it relates to this. I would encourage you to spend time understanding how your past is influencing your present. History is not fact. It is a story told by someone, and it's not always true. Sometimes it is, but not always. Professional people are really helpful here. If you can talk to someone, they can help you walk through it, and they can look at it rationally. So the second one is rising pressure or, or stress. In, my, in a post that I did recently, and I'll put it here, I talked about this idea. And I used a, an example. When we're walking in the forest during the day, you see everything. You see every tree, every bird, and every detail. It's all in color and full 3D. As night comes, you start to lose clarity, and the world flattens. It goes 2D. You aren't sure what you see ahead. Is that a tree? Is it a bush? A monster? Stress takes us from day to night. From clear skies to cloudy, fog rolls in, and we don't even realize it. With stress, our judgment gets worse. Things spiral, and we keep spinning stories. Worse yet, it starts spreading to the people around us. And Green leans into this. He says, never imagine that you're someone who can withstand rising stress without emotional leakage. It's not possible. But through self-awareness and reflection, you can prevent yourself from making decisions you will regret. So I would suggest some actions here. You got to get to know yourself. 
I know when my pulse increases, I can feel a tightening in my chest. That's a cue to say and do as little as possible. That's stress rising and my judgment is getting worse. And while it's a cliche, it's time to count to 10. And if you're really stressed, count to 100. Whatever you do, respond, don't react. Okay, so Green talked to us a little bit about biases and facing those. And then we talked about what are the inflaming factors, things from childhood, rising stress, and some other things. Now, step three is, hey, what are some things that we can do to bring out a rational cell? Here's a few. Green says, know yourself thoroughly. The emotional self thrives on ignorance. Your first step towards rational thought is always inward, end quote. Here's some things to consider. Do you know when you're stressed? What about blame bias? We all say we want to be better, but do you really look where you've gotten it wrong and take responsibility? How can you do it differently? Next, he says, imagine your emotions to their roots. Dig below any trigger point and see where they start. Your greatest danger here is your ego, and it makes you maintain illusions about yourself. End quote. Here's some ideas. How are your habits, sleep, movement, food, media, impacting your emotions? How is your perspective being driven by your desire to soothe your ego? What are you holding on to from the past that may or may not be true or, at a minimum, is not helpful? I think a journal is really helpful here. You put it out into the world in a safe place and you read it to yourself and it can bring out some objectivity. Next, he says, increase your reaction time. The longer you can take, the better, because perspective comes with time. Consider this like resistance training. The longer you can resist reacting, the more mental space you have for actual reflection. And the stronger your mind will be. End quote. Some decisions need to be made fast. Most don't. You don't have to respond to that email, that comment, or even that look. And sometimes you have to be honest. Hey, I'm not having a good day. I think I need to sleep on this. I know I'm going to be clearer in the morning. Next from Green says, accept people as facts. We are continually judging people and wishing that they were something they're not. And we want them to change, act a certain way. Most often, we want them to think and act like us. People are rational, just like you. Assume positive intent and make your mission to try and understand them, their struggles, their strengths. And wherever you can, try to see the world from their view not yours. Our emotions are part of why we've been able to create the wonderful world that we live in. They also contribute to everything that is broken. And I want to wrap it up here by sharing a a really incredible metaphor that Green relates from the ancient Greeks. It's about the rider and the horse. The horse is our emotional nature continually impelling us to move. The horse has tremendous energy and power, but without a rider, it cannot be guided. It's wild, subject to predators, and continually heading into trouble. The rider is our thinking self. Through training and practice, it holds the reins and guides the horse, transforming its powerful animal energy into something productive. The one without the other is useless. Without the rider, no directed movement or purpose. Without the horse, no energy, no power. In most people, the horse dominates and the rider is weak. 
In some people, the rider is too strong and holds the reins too tightly and is afraid to occasionally let the animal go and gallop. The horse and the rider must work together. This means we must consider our actions beforehand. We bring as much thinking as possible to a situation before making a decision. Once we decide what to do, we loosen the reins and enter with boldness and spirit of adventure. Instead of being slaves to this energy, we channel it. And that is the essence of rationality. I hope you're good out there. Take care. I hope you found this helpful. And if you did, hit like and consider sharing it with just one other person who might find it helpful too. I hope you're good out there. Take care.